Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We are here, week one of the NFL season. Thursday night football, Rams, Bills kicking it off. A Sunday slate of games. A very special guest in our second segment, Sal Palantonio, ESPN's national reporter, will break down all things NFC East, Eagles, Giants, Commanders, Cowboys. We'll talk the Bills-Rams opener. Can LA defend its championship? We'll even get a Super Bowl matchup prediction from the great Sal Pal. But before we get his, you need mine. And you need to know this when I say it. No psychedelics in my system. I'm clear-minded. I'm clear-headed when I tell you Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers will win the Super Bowl this season. And they will defeat, hope you're ready for this, the Las Vegas Raiders in the Super Bowl. Now, why do I say Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers will win? Well, first of all, just on principle, and I believe this for a few years now, Aaron Rodgers is too good to retire one day having won only one Super Bowl ring. He's just too good. He's coming off back-to-back MVP awards. Matt LaFleur and Rodgers have won 13 games in three straight seasons. Joe Barry's defense is one of the, if not the, best defense in the NFL. And an X-factor to me is Rich Bisaccia coming on to, to coach special teams. He did an admirable job in a difficult circumstance with the Vegas Raiders as interim head coach last season. We all know that the Packers special teams let them down in a major way, losing at home in the playoffs last season to the Niners. I think Bisaccia helps clean that part of the game up that Lafleur has struggled with. And I think the offensive concepts and Rogers greatness helps the Packers overcome the loss of Devontae Adams. But I also think on the flip side, Adams, Derek Carr, And the Vegas Raiders also have a coaching advantage now. Josh McDaniels as head coach. Pat Graham on the defensive side of the ball coming from the Giants. Here's a guy who showed how how to stop and control Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs last season in Arrowhead with a Giants roster that did not have the kind of personnel that he has now, especially at the edge position with Chandler Jones added across from Max Crosby. In the AFC, I know the Buffalo Bills are the chalk, and they are the chalk for a good reason. And Gabe Davis and Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, they're going to explode. They have a great roster. You saw Von Miller joins them for a reason. You know, he got that Super Bowl ring with the Rams, and now he clearly thinks the Bills are next. And the AFC West is so strong. Denver, Kansas City, the Chargers, and Justin Herbert, one of the my favorite players to watch in the NFL. And let's face it, you can't ignore that Joe Burrow and the Bengals could be just as good, if not better, and never discount Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And that's in the AFC. But I just love the Raiders to take that next step. I mean, this is a team that was kind of knocking on the door. Yes, they won a lot of close games, but they finished way better in 2021 than I think a lot of people remember or give them credit for. And that was in adverse conditions, losing players, losing a head coach. I believe Derek Carr can get it done, and I think that his rapport with Devontae Adams going back to college is going to mean all that more for the Raiders, their offense, and getting to the Super Bowl. But they're not going to win, and that's because you look at the Packers, their defensive side of the ball is loaded. Jair Alexander on the outside 
He is, in my opinion, possibly the best player in the NFL that nobody talks about. He is a lockdown corner. He intercepted Tom Brady twice in the NFC title game a couple years ago in Lambeau that the Bucs still pulled out. Fantastic player. And that secondary is loaded because you had Eric Stokes drafted last year. You have Rasul Douglas, who is just a flourishing player, a veteran who bounced around, played some of the Eagles, but really seems to have found a home in Green Bay with Amos and Savage on the back end. And then up front, I mean, Rayshon Gary's come into his own, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, Devondre Campbell in the middle at linebacker, obviously had a breakout season in 2021, and other names that I probably didn't mention here. But Joe Barry's defense, listen, you lose Devontae Adams on the offensive side of the ball, and that's bad. But I don't think a lot of people recognize that in 2021, the Packers' points per game scored by their offense dropped from 31.8 the previous season to 26.4 in 2021. But they still won 13 games. You know why? Because their defense got even stingier. They gave up 23 points per game in 2020 and only 21.8 points per game in 2021. But I still think that with that defense combined with Rodgers' offense and figuring it out, they're going to make up for that Adams loss. They're going to hold teams to low scoring and then on the receiver position, and listen to me carefully, Sammy Watkins. He is going to emerge as a player that everyone's going to wish they were talking about in August. I've talked to people around the league, know Sammy Watkins well. Yes, he's battled some injuries, but this is a guy who's been to a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs, has pedigree as a former first-round pick, and everything I've heard, he's in the best shape of his life. I know everybody says that in training camp but I've heard that he's in great shape coming into this season. And we all know that Aaron Rodgers struggles often to find a chemistry, a rapport, and a comfort with young receivers because he has a lot of control of that offense and he knows where he wants things. And let's be honest, he's earned it. He has the clout. He has the pedigree, the MVP level play. He has the Super Bowl ring. So their young receivers need to do what Rodgers wants them to do in that offense, in that scheme, to be where he needs them to be when he's releasing that ball, whether it's on the move or from the pocket. Watkins is a veteran. Watkins, I think, is going to have a faster connection with Rodgers, a deeper connection with him down the field. And I think that that is going to separate their passing game from what people think it might be sputtering-wise coming off losing a talent like Devontae Adams. And you can't ignore the running game. You can't ignore Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, which are really going to pace this offense and protect Aaron Rodgers in that passing game from having to put the whole game on their shoulders. I know David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins up front, their health is going to say a lot about what happens with Green Bay and whether they can go deep. And I'm not ignoring the Philadelphia Eagles, the New Orleans Saints, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Los Angeles Rams even trying to repeat as Super Bowl champions. But give me the Green Bay Packers, give me Aaron Rodgers, give me Matt LaFleur beating Josh McDaniels, Derek Carr, and Devontae Adams in a Super Bowl chock full of storylines with Rodgers winning his second title and the Packers winning their first since 2010. We'll be right back here on Talking Ball with the great Sal Pal. This week's guest, a very special guest in his 30th year covering the National Football League, his 19th year hosting the landmark NFL matchup show 
on ESPN, the number one X's and O's football show on television. Prior to his uh, tenure at ESPN beginning in 1995, he spent 10 years working at my hometown paper, Philadelphia <laughs> Inquirer, and was a surface warfare officer in the United States Navy from 1978 to 1983. He is also stationed in week one, covering the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is the one, the only Sal Pal Antonio. Sal Pal, thank you so much for being here. It's totally my honor, my pleasure. Always good to support somebody who I think is uh, the future of the business, and you certainly are, Pat. So I'm happy to join your show. I appreciate that, Sal Pal. Let's get right into real football. It's finally here, (laughs) and starting with the season opener, the reigning champion Los Angeles Rams against the Buffalo Bills. Sal, we got a lot of people think the Bills are a favorite, but you also have the Rams who look like they could be keyed up for a repeat season. What do you see in this matchup, and uh, how do you feel like it's going to play out right right from the jump? Yeah, no, everybody is picking the Bills as the AFC champs, uh, and they are favorites on the road. I mean, when was the last time, Pat, you saw a Super Bowl winner in the home opener, a home dog? They're two and a, I think they're two-and-a-half-point favorite uh, dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, very unusual. Um, I think that's primarily due to the uncertainty of the elbow of Matthew Stafford. Now, he's not on the injury report uh, so far. Uh, he's got to go through a week of practice and walkthroughs and all that other stuff, and we'll get the final report on Sunday morning. But he had that tendonitis in his elbow mm-hmm. that limited him severely coming uh, into training camp. And they say he's okay, but it's one of those things where, you know, the betters want to see, they, they want to show, they're like in show me mode right now with Matthew Stafford. So I think that's one of the reasons why they're home dogs. That's a very good point. And there was also this element, you know, covering the Super Bowl last season in Los Angeles, even though the Rams and the Bengals both earned their way, there was definitely a sense and a lot of talk about people feeling like the best team wasn't there, that the Bills had shown in a lot of ways that they were deserving of maybe lifting the Lombardi. And obviously that horrific uh, collapse, you know, leads to their elimination against the Chiefs. But uh, there's almost like this feeling, I feel like, of unfinished business and I think the better seem to share what a lot of even the, the national media covering the NFL last season is that the Buffalo Bills are due. Do you feel that way? Well, I think, the, you know, you and I were talking in the press box that day. I remember it at SoFi Stadium uh, very, very well. Um, we were having a halftime meal together. And I think both of us agreed that if the Bills had been in that game, they would have beat the Rams quite easily. And I think the bottom line was, They have a mobile dual threat quarterback. Josh Allen ran for 762 yards. Remember that number. Ran for 762 yards last year. I I want you to remember that number because when we bring up the Giants and Brian Dayball's offense Mm. in New York with the play calls by Kafka, it's not going to be the same offense. Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a lot of design run plays and could escape trouble. The problem the Bengals had in that game is they could not protect Joe Burrow. Uh, he was not a dual threat. They had no design runs for Joe Burrow. They keyed on Joe Mixon, and they went into attack mode on Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow was sacked 70 times last year, seven in the Super Bowl, only lost the Super Bowl by three points. Amazing he was still standing. 
right? And he only lost the Super Bowl by three points. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that's why a lot of people are like, okay, well, what do the Bills present differently, <clears throat> specifically uh, when comparison to the Bengals? And that is Josh Allen could move. Joe Burrow could not. And to your point on the Bills offense and how it could even take off even further with Josh Allen's mobility, I'd actually heard that part of the friction that occurred last season in Brian Dable's last year as the Bills OC under Sean McDermott was that early on McDermott was trying to take a little bit more control of what the offense looked like. And it actually resulted in Allen running less and letting him get out there less. And they were trying to rely more on on the running game and, and Dable and the way he wanted to run it and the way Allen wanted to run it once they got to about mid season and they wanted to spread it out. They wanted to go more four wide. They wanted to involve a guy, Gabe Davis, who obviously we saw blossom uh, down the stretch and in the playoffs and really projects as one of the top receivers coming into this year, possibly alongside Stefan Diggs, but that allowing Allen and Dable to get him back to running and out and mobility wise and basically tucking and running even if that wasn't the play call, is what vaulted them back to the team that we saw at the end of the year. And so maybe McDermott learns from that, and under Ken Dorsey, they end up letting Allen employ those skills and turn it loose. Now, we look at, speaking of a quarterback with wheels, you are based in the Philadelphia area, and obviously you are an expert on the entire league, but you know the Philadelphia Eagles better than anybody. And Jalen Hurts is a guy going into year three, and he is a player who I saw your sit down one-on-one -on -one interview with him, how poised he came off and how high the expectations now are for both him and the Eagles, given all the offseason additions. What are you seeing and hearing about how Hurts is handling that and whether he can deliver on really incredibly lofty expectations for both him and the Eagles, considering where they left off last year? Well, those, those are big, complex questions. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, I think he's handling it well so far. I think the whole team is. They're supporting him uh, in every possible way. They brought in A.J. Brown, his good friend. Uh, they just signed a guy who played with him in college, Trey Sermon, and I thought they, they should have definitely kicked the tires of Sony Michelle, but they didn't do that. Um, they've done everything possible to put him into a situation where he could succeed. So um, it's up to him now to do two things. And that's one, uh, you know, Pat, his snap to release was 3.1 seconds last year. That was slowest in the league. Mm. And you look at the tape, it's pretty evident that his ability to process information quickly and pull the trigger and trust what he sees is just not there yet. And I've seen that improvement in training camp, but it's just training camp. Right. Secondly, uh, he has to be more productive on third down. And that's where A.J. Brown will help him hmm. uh, because now they have three guys who potentially need to have to be double teamed in certain situations in Goddard and Smith and Brown. And you can always rely on the swing pass to Miles Sanders, who's very good. You know, the Eagles were top five swing uh, 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 screen pass team in the league last year. It was the Bucks. It was the Chiefs. And it was the Eagles. They were number three. They were top five in screen passes. Hmm. So um, the Giants were way down. And, and, and another thing that, you know, th I think this year, uh, you know, this, this year will be about Barkley uh, in many ways. 
And I, I do believe that even though I think what you said about Dayball is partially true, getting back to the Giants for a second, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it friction. But I was there week one, Pat, when they lost to the Steelers up in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And it was clearly a play-calling problem and a pass-protection problem. Clearly. That was the game that Watt went off, remember? Right. Yes, I do. Yeah, he went crazy, started on that MVP kind of tear, uh, and, and it started all in Buffalo. They couldn't block him. They didn't have a good protection plan. They had some gadget plays that didn't work in critical situations. And you could tense, sense some tension building right away, right away. Um, and the wheels came off in Kansas City in that bad overtime loss. But getting back to the Eagles, um, they have a favorable schedule, Pat. Everything has been set up for Jalen Hurts for success. But they got to go out and win some games the old-fashioned way. You know, they got to put teams away early. They got to win on third down. They got to win in the red zone. They got to do all those parcels like stuff, mm. you know, have good field position, create turnovers offensively. They got to play some good complementary football for Jalen Hurts to succeed. He is not Tom Brady, hmm. right? So, right. and so looking at the division, right, Pat, we got Jalen Hurts in a prove it year, Carson Wentz in a prove it year, Daniel Jones. Prove it year. Mike McCarthy, prove it year. You got four teams where a major element of the team is in a prove it situation. No doubt. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because moving over to Carson Wentz and Washington, from my vantage point, Ron Rivera, even though everybody respects him and he's well liked in that locker room, it almost it feels like he's on the hot seat going into year three there. They get him Carson mm-hmm. Wentz, a quarterback who, let's face it, looks like he's broken and needs to be put back together. You also did a sit down with Carson and talk to him very candidly about how it ended in Indianapolis and what he's coming to Washington to do. Is this a young man who, and obviously you covered him in Philadelphia as well. Is this a young man who is ready to put all of that pressure on his shoulders, you know, of the coach's fate, turning a team around, proving that he's not what the Colts and owner Jim Irsay said he was is he ready to handle that and prove people wrong? I, I believe that he is, Pat. When you put the question like that, I think the answer is emphatically yes. Hmm. Um, and I think Rivera helps him early on. And I don't necessarily think that Rivera's quote-unquote on the hot seat, but if okay. they implode, right, um, and it's Ron Rivera's fault, which I doubt could ever happen, um, I think it'll be more other people's fault than his. Got it. He'll be on the hot seat next year. But I think with Carson, you know, the first thing that they did with Carson, and this was not in the piece, and I interviewed him about this, is, well, first of all, Ron Rivera said to him, we want you here. And that was good for him to hear after what happened with Jim Irsay in Indianapolis. No doubt. That calmed him down, calmed his wife down. He has a very strong family and faith background and platform in which he runs his life. So second thing is, hey, we're going to go play golf. Carson Wentz never played golf before. He's a hunter. He hunts by himself with his dogs. Now we're going to go play golf with the team. 
Got it. We're going to have the offensive lineman over the house. We're going to do the normal, you know, stuff that you should be doing, you know, yeah. as a quarterback. And uh, I think that was a brilliant stroke. It was Rivera's idea. Wentz went along with it. They never really, as I can tell, I don't think they had any kind of like come to Jesus moment where Rivera said to him, hey, we're going to do this. This is going to be good for you. I think just Rivera just did it. Yeah. And actions speak louder than words. And actions will speak louder than words on the field. You know, I you said broken. I don't think that he's broken. I, I think that he definitely lost his way after he got that knee injury and concussion. Uh, battled some injuries, battled some personality differences in the locker room in Philly. Got to remember, though, Pat, they don't go to the Super Bowl and win it without Carson winning 11 games and giving them home field advantage. No question about it. Doesn't happen. He was 27-7 and last year, touchdowns to interceptions. He had two really lousy games at home against Tennessee when he threw that fourth quarter and overtime interception and lost the game to the Titans. And then, of course, the big one that everybody knows about, Jacksonville. Go back and look at the tape, though. There were a lot of unblocked defenders coming at Carson Wentz in that game. I mean, he's still got to see it. He's still got to get rid of it. He's an experienced, tough quarterback. Still got to know what the protection is. Got to read the hot and get rid of the football. But wasn't all his fault. No, and I'm, I'm sure that is what the tape shows. And also, Wentz, of course, is one of those quarterbacks who, when he holds onto the ball and makes that tremendous 60-yard touchdown pass, everybody loves that he held onto the ball. So... You know, there's a part of that where he likes to live to see another day because he knows he can make make that play and has throughout his college and pro career. I also do like Jahan Dotson, uh, the wide receiver out of Penn State, being added to the receiving core with Terry McLaurin. I do think Wentz is going to rack up some yards and some numbers. We'll see if the wins happen mm-hmm. there. But Ron Rivera definitely seems to have that poise, the clout, and kind of the the right voice maybe for a player like Carson right now. But the division champions reigning champions are the Dallas Cowboys. You actually, you referenced Mike McCarthy and the pressure on them right now. And I mean, Sal, when's the last time you've seen a situation like this, where the the noise is so loud about a coach like Sean Payton, you know, essentially being in waiting if you're going to fail and falter in Mike McCarthy with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I think I saw, was it the Dallas morning news? I think I saw uh, a picture of, an illustration of the Cowboys going up and down an escalator with McCarthy going up and Peyton watching, <laughs> looking up at him from underneath with Jerry Jones waving. Uh, have when, when have you seen this before? How unusual is it? And do you think McCarthy and the Cowboys respond to the pressure of it or will? Wow. Again, a lot of complex questions. A, I've never seen anything like it. You're right. It's unprecedented. It's crazy. And, you know, that's the NFL. I call it the year of living dangerously <laughs> because there are so many unknowns all around the league. You know, just we just are talking about the NFC East, and we've got four teams where there are major, major unknowns, and the volatility is off the charts. Could go either way with Hurts. Could go either way with Daniel Jones. Could go either way with Carson Wentz. Could go either way with Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys. It's a complete – you never seen this kind of money thrown around in the NFL. 
had 193 free agents change hands this offseason, most in NFL history. I mean, and what are there? 10 talk teams about, with talk new about, coaches? Ten, I think it's 10. ten yeah. And, and you could go th- around the league and look at all the teams where the quarterback situation is either unsettled or the quarterback's in a prove it year. Right. I mean, we haven't even started talking about the NFC West. I mean, Seattle, San Francisco. I mean, it's crazy. What's going on with Kyler Murray in Arizona? Is Matthew Stafford fully healthy? You can go on, on and on, but getting back to the Cowboys, it's it's very difficult for me to envision the Cowboys winning the division. Interesting. I don't see it happening. I think they will compete very hard, but you just look at their schedule in comparison to either the Giants or the Eagles. Like, for instance, this week the Eagles are on the road playing the lowly Detroit Lions. Right. The Commanders have the Jaguars coming in, right? Mm-hmm. The Cowboys have to start with the Bucks and Tom Brady. And all of their road games that are non-division, all of their non-division hard games are on the road. It's hard. It's it, it it's tough. Does Jason it's Peters a tough, tough schedule. Jason Peters have anything left? Don't know, Pat. Yeah. But if you're reaching out to Jason Peters at this point, you know, you've run out of ideas, really. Yeah, that says a lot. You you mentioned uh, Daniel Jones and referenced the Giants earlier, but if let, he's not Josh Allen, you said it, and Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, they're trying to build an offense to make it work, and Saquon Barkley looks healthy and ready to go. But you know, where would you put uh, your your weight behind here? Is Daniel Jones going to be the Giants' quarterback in twenty twenty three, or are they going to be picking in the top, you know, five, six, seven, and drafting their quarterback of the future? You know, big unknowable question. But all you got to do is look at the Giants' schedule. So first of all, I personally root for Daniel Jones. Hmm. I like him a lot. I've interviewed him a lot. I think he's a hardworking guy who means well, who's tough. Certainly proved that he wants to be a a, a member of the New York Giants, a, a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. The problem is... He's got 15 games with multiple turnovers, and that's the most since he's come into the league of any quarterback in the NFL. If you don't fix that, he's got no shot to be the quarterback next year. However, I think the biggest change for the for the team is two, two things. First of all, Brian Dayball is taking his offense from Buffalo, trying to superimpose it on the Giants. Impossible to do because – Josh Allen last year would have been the Giants' leading rusher. <laughs> he had 762 yards rushing. None of your backs had over 600. Incredible. Correct? Am I right about that? Yes, you are. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you don't have any design runs for Daniel Jones, nor should you. So, he's. it's going to be much more of a traditional play-action running game where the quarterback has to, it has to be hut, hut, ball out in 2.2 or 3 or 4 seconds. And if but he, on the flip side, sorry, go and that could work. That could work, right? That could work. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I haven't been to training camp practice. You tell me. Is he getting the ball out quickly or not? Uh, relatively, I would say, though, that his receivers haven't okay. been on the field enough for them to build enough chemistry. So I guess the, I guess the short answer is no. 
but not not it's not on him. That makes sense. Okay. Well, that has to develop because, um, you know, I think on the flip side, you're you're adding a very important component, and that is Wink Martindale. You know, the Ravens, the number one blitzing team in three of the last five years in the NFL, highest bliss percentage. The reason why they weren't last year is because they lost their two top corners and some other major injuries on defense. Yeah, they were so banged up. Right? So, you know, the the knock on Wink Martindale is he doesn't mix coverages up. But if you're getting to the quarterback and you're causing turnovers in good field position for Daniel Jones, don't have to mix coverages. Don't have to do that obviously depending on who the quarterback is. But I think Martindale changes the calculus in the division. So now the Giants are going to blitz Carson Wentz. They're going to blitz Dak Prescott. They are going to throw more at Jalen Hurts and say, okay, Jalen, we're going to take away Miles Sanders. We're going to take away those RPOs because we're going to run a lot of guys up on the line of scrimmage, eight, nine in the box. We're going to make you throw your way out of trouble. You know, uh, I think Martindale changes the calculus in the division. So let's go through the Giants' schedule for a second. Okay. If they could possibly beat Tennessee on the road, big, big ass. They're be, five and a half point underdogs. That would be huge. But not, they're not seven point underdogs. They're five and a half. People have questions about Tennessee. Right. If they show up and hold their own and don't get obliterated out of t- Tennessee, they come back, play Carolina, Dallas, and Chicago. So they need to win two out of three of those home games. Would you agree? Absolutely. Before they go to Green Bay, I mean, in London, yeah. and lose to Green Bay. Then they have to beat Baltimore when they come back. That, to me, is the key. Hold on a second. The key for the season. Right there, Baltimore, after they come back from London. Got to win that home game. Because then you can beat Jacksonville. You can beat Seattle with Drew Locke. I mean, Martindale can beat Locke. Yeah, they should win that game. That's on the road. But if you if you need to show a meaningful progress, like John Marrick always says, that's what he wants to see by December and January, you need to win yep. games like that against quarterbacks like that. Yes, and that's why Martindale is there. Martindale is, to, is there to take the defense on the road and beat marginal quarterbacks. That's it. That's his job. Win those kind of games. So it's a tough road. They got to go to London, come home against Baltimore, then go to Jacksonville, and then go across the country to Seattle. But with Martindale and the D, they have a shot. Then they have an easy part of the schedule. Houston comes in after the bye, and then Detroit. So, I mean, I look at the schedule, and I think the Giants have six to eight wins on the schedule. I do. Wow. An eternal optimist compared to me, Sal. You're making me me look bad. Giants fans are going to love you, though. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think Martindale changes the calculus. It it puts them in games against marginal quarterbacks. No, and I, I I like that you're mentioning him. No, you're right, because their schedule, not only with teams that look beatable, but also with quarterbacks that are beatable against his scheme. It's a great point. And it actually, there's an interesting element of this Giants team where you have Wink Martindale, who who is feels like and is grossly overdue a head coaching opportunity. You have Mike Kafka, a young and Mm -hmm. up and comer, up and comer, where 
if the Giants offense succeeds and takes off, he could be one and done off to a head coaching job. You have Brandon Brown, the assistant GM, comes over from Philadelphia, who's here already profiling like a guy like if Joe Shane has success, they could send Brown off to be a GM some, somewhere the same way that Brandon Bean did with Joe Shane. So there's a lot of um, exciting additions on the coaching front office front who could really set the Giants up for the future well and then also be on their way to lead their own programs if it goes the way that you're saying it could go. Well, I mean, Pat, that's all well and good, but let's agree on something. We know what you're going to get scheme-wise from Martindale, whether you have Thibodeau out there or not. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to get. Yes. They're going to come after the quarterback from every possible angle, and that's going to put you in games where last year you struggled, the Giants struggled. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get offensively until Daniel Jones – you know, puts on the helmet, double chin strap is sit up and says, all right, I'm going to lead this team without making mistakes. And that'll and at times, yeah. you and I agree, Tyrod Taylor looked better than Daniel Jones this summer. He just did. Yes, he did. He yes, just he played did. with more confidence and mobility. Um, so I wonder... I wonder if the Giants' defense is playing as well as I think it will and Jones doesn't answer the bell, whether they move on midseason. I think that is more possible than most people realize. And, you know, coming into training camp, I was hearing noise already about that, well, listen, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. So that tells everybody what you need to know about their initial opinion and evaluation of Daniel Jones. But coming into camp, I was hearing, you know, a change could happen sooner rather than later if Jones didn't get it together and that he already wasn't, um, you know, the favorite lockdown. This is our guy of this new regime. And he did get better throughout camp as they installed the offense. But Taylor looked very good early and he got $11 million guaranteed over two years for a reason. And uh, I agree, Sal, he's poised, he's calm. Um, you know, Jones will get every chance to succeed, but I completely agree with you sooner than later change is possible. If the defense is playing well, giving them chances to win and the offense is the reason they're not. Yeah. And I think you can see what teams did to Daniel Jones last year in the giants offense. They took away his comfort zone, the middle of the field, very quickly closed it down and made him look outside of the hash marks. Yep. Uh, and so it's incumbent upon Dayball and Kafka, the designer and the play caller, to put him in a better position to give him options, a la Tom Brady, a la Stafford, where you have a guy who is going to be able to maneuver between the hash marks and, to, as we like to say, Take his own shot, you know, create his own shot. We, we, you know, you got to have a guy there who off the dribble can take, create his own shot. Yes. You have to have a Cooper Cup in the NFL now. Why? Why do you need somebody between the hash marks who could create his own shot, who can get open on his own? Because it's a blitzing league. The whole league is blitzing. So the clock ticks so much faster in the NFL now for the quarterback. That's why Brady is successful. And why he's not sometimes. Why he's not is because you look at last year against the Rams. They kept coming into his face 
overloading the middle, taking the middle away. He gets hit in the mouth. All of a sudden, he's screaming at Sean Hockley. Sean Hockley throws the flag. And, um, you know, with the Bucks missing their center and the two guards, that's what people will do. They'll do that to guys like Brady, Stafford, Jones, Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. All of those guys. And that's why Chris Godwin, Why do you think the, yeah, that's why Chris the Pittsburgh Steelers is valuable to Brady? Oh, absolutely. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. They draft the kid in the first round, but while their offensive line is still trying to get it together, they need Mitch Trubisky because he can get out of the pocket. He can evacuate and escape the trouble. He also creates another option in the RPOs to Najee Harris. And I think, and again, I root for Daniel Jones. I like him. Yeah. But Tyrod Taylor gives Saquon Barkley an added dimension. Like you have to, you have to account for Tyrod Taylor's movement. Sal, he made a play in the preseason, and yes, it's preseason, but it's just a simple pressure coming from his right. You know, right-handed quarterback, so in his face, and steps up. And then out to his right, so underneath the pass rusher, takes a couple steps sideways to his right, kind of strafes, and hits a receiver coming left to right for you know an eight-yard gain or so. Daniel Jones can do a lot, but he can't do that. He doesn't do that regularly. He doesn't create his own shot, to use the term you used, as much as he needs to back there. That's why you can't just project Josh Allen to Daniel Jones with Brian Dable's offense, and that's the kind of thing he needs to do because the pocket's not always going to be clean if, you know, essentially to stave off that potential inevitability if it doesn't go well. Yeah. And I I don't know how it's going to go, but I think when you look at the giant schedule, Pat, and you look at how Wink Martindale changes the aperture of what the giants will do defensively, why he's there, he's there, create turnovers, create better field position, beat the marginal quarterbacks on the road. And it starts week one. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has had some success, but if you get to him, he will turn the ball over, just like the Bengals did to him in Tennessee in that playoff game. Yeah, you have a blueprint of their last game they played. Take that and superimpose it on what you're going to do against – Tennessee week one, just run that defense and make your defense win the game. If, if big, if your quarterback doesn't turn the ball over, if Daniel Jones doesn't turn the ball over their likelihood of winning the game goes way, way, way up. Don't you think? Absolutely. That's the, that's the calculus and you're getting me excited for, for Nashville. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic about the Giants' chances, but your view of Wink and what he adds to the Giants and kind of changes the whole trajectory of how these games can play out. I'm excited. I'm excited for the season. And uh, you've been very generous generous with your time here, Sal. I don't know if you make Super Bowl predictions, uh, you're, but you're a veteran of this business. When you look at, you know, all these teams up there, the odds makers have, you know, the Bills, the Bucks, et cetera. <laughs> Is there anybody you look at right now and you say, this is the team that's going to get it done? Pat, I'm intimidated by Peter King. Peter King has picked the last four Super Bowl winners in a row, and he just picked the Bills over the Packers in his Super Bowl. (laughs) So um, 
There's a lot, like you said at the beginning of our conversation, there's a lot of chalk on Buffalo. Definitely there is. Uh, but it comes down to having home field advantage. Buffalo needs to have home field advantage. I think they go on the road in the AFC championship game. It's going to be, they're going to get real nervous real quick. And I think it'll be tough for them to win that game. Although they were within 13 seconds of beating the Chiefs. True. So I'm going to say Buffalo in the Super Bowl uh, in Arizona. And I'm going to say they are going to play the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. All right. The Eagles fulfilling the high expectations. And who's going to win that game? Nah, nah. We're going to have to play that one. (laughs) Keeping us on our toes, Sal, as always. You are the best. (laughs) Follow Sal's Instagram account. Great content there, as well as everything he obviously brings for ESPN on a daily basis. Instagram, he is Sal Pal ESPN. The one, the only Sal Pal. Thank you, Sal, so much. All right, that was a great talk with the great Sal Pal. Now we're going to get into our two-minute drill with betting lines from FanDuel on my MVP picks, conference picks, and Super Bowl picks. So let's get right into it. Long shot MVP pick I really like is Lamar Jackson for the Baltimore Ravens, plus 2,000 on FanDuel. But my MVP pick for the season is Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's right below Josh Allen at the moment. He's plus 800, but I'm seeing some crazy things out there. I'm seeing people say Kirk Cousins is going to win MVP. I'm not exactly sure why or what that means. Um, I like Joe Burrow possibly as well, but I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes and his chip on his shoulder coming into this season. People are doubting him uh, without Tyreek Hill. Now let's go to the AFC, AFC championship lines. The Las Vegas Raiders, my pick, plus 2,500 to win the NFC. Get on that right now. Sprinkle that. The Cincinnati Bengals, plus 1,200. No respect for the reigning AFC champions. Uh, The Green Bay Packers only plus 500. That's my Super Bowl pick. That's to get to the Super Bowl and win the NFC. Some long shot NFC bets to look at. The Eagles, plus 1,000. And the New Orleans Saints, plus 1,700. So the Eagles, Sal Palantonio picked to be in the Super Bowl. That would be plus 1,000 to win the NFC. And the Saints, Benny Fowler telling us two weeks ago that that's a team that he thinks will surprise some people, plus 1,700 with a really solid roster, good defense, and maybe Jameis Winston coming into his own with Dennis Allen at head coach, plus 1,700. And now let's move on, lastly, to the Super Bowl picks. The Las Vegas Raiders and New Orleans Saints. These are two long shots that I like to sprinkle on, plus 4,000 if you're looking at this. Obviously, all the favorites, uh, the lines come down. You know, So we're just talking about long shot picks. Uh, you know, Don't waste your money, but definitely two teams that I think it's worth that could get there, reasonably have a chance to get to the Super Bowl, the Vegas Raiders and the Saints. But of course, my pick is Packers over Raiders. And finally, even though some of you may listen to this podcast after the Bills-Rams opener. The Thursday line is Bills favored by two and a half on the road against the reigning champions. Give me the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. And that'll do it for our second episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. See you next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.